I want to do something a little different this morning. Um, I want to invite you to turn to a passage. It's Colossians chapter 1, and let's stand together as we read this passage, just kind of as a, a way to revere God's word, to honor him for his word to us. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. I think it's on page 983 if you're grabbing the Bibles out of your seats. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all richness of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. And I apologize, I have, I have one of those colds that you get this time of year, you know, the ones that are just kind of nagging. So if I keep sniffling, that's, that's what's up with that, but sorry about that. Uh, I read this passage, and for the first time, it really came off the pages for me in 2012. Um, we were in a season of life where we had moved to the Seattle area from Vancouver. We had planted a church in Vancouver that went really well. Um, it grew from one service to two services in the first year, and then two services to three services in the next year, and we started planting churches and engaging in, in mission work, and, and largely it was successful from a, a human standpoint. Um, that church carried on even after we left. It had its own governance, its own leaders, its next lead pastor. It was, it was kind of the success of church planting. And then God called us to move to Seattle to plant another church. And we arrived in Seattle, and we, we had a church in that area that said, we want to be your mother church. We want to support you guys in church planting. And we had had that before in church planting, and we thought, this is great. This is amazing. This church wants to support us and encourage us. All signs look really positive. And we got there, and we noticed something was just a little bit different. Because as we had conversations with this church, they started saying, well, we're really excited about the church plant, but we really need to make sure that you don't take any of the young folks with you to help start that church plant. In fact, if you could clear all the people that you might think about taking to be a part of the church plant with us, we'd really appreciate that. And not them, and not them, and not them. And we're like, oh, okay. So Seattle is not the easiest context to plant a church in, and we were there largely because we had a mother church that might help sponsor us. And it got to the point where they started saying things like, in fact, we don't want your, your team or your leaders to be connected to our cafe that's in our church building um, because we're, we're afraid that you're going to take some of the folks that we might reach. And it became very competitive and territorial. 
And it was, it was a strange process. Um, and there's, there's more to that story. God has done great things in that church since then and, and is at work at, at transforming that church. But it was really a hard, a hard season for us. In fact, I found myself in that season working harder than I had ever worked in my ministry life and career before and seeing less results, less transformation, less growth in, in our new church plant, fewer spiritual conversations, uh, actually a, a kind of a closed posture towards faith in Christ. And I started kind of going through this cycle in life where I was, I was working hard to try and figure it out. And I'm, I'm a strategist, so I kind of look down the road and say, well, what needs to change? What can we kind of take care of? And strategizing is really good, but at its worst, it's anxiety, too, because you kind of look 10 steps down the road and you start worrying about those things. And that anxiety that came from the strategizing started wearing me down, and I realized that I was not enjoying life like I typically would. And I actually found myself on kind of this stair step of, depression and anxiety, and that's how they work together. It's, I feel bad because I recognize that I'm not who I typically am, and so then I start worrying about how do I get out of this place, but the worrying or the anxiety drives me to a lower spot in my own emotional being, and I become more and more depressed, and then I realize, well, I'm really in bad shape. Good news, now I feel even worse, and I can worry more about that and be more anxious about that. And I found myself in a spot where the enemy was really throwing some lies at me, and the lies sounded like this, your life doesn't look like good news. How dare you say you have something to proclaim to this dark city when your life looks pretty dark itself? And I remember in, in that season coming to terms with the fact that um, I was depressed. I was anxious. And I needed some help. And I wasn't functioning well. In, in fact, I remember during that season having a staff meeting with some of our leaders. Dan Gregory that we just talked about was there. And in the middle of the meeting, I got this wave of anxiety that was paralyzing. If you've ever had a panic attack... Um, for me, some, somehow it's just, it waved over me and I had to run to the restroom and it was embarrassing and it was terrible and I had to say, guys, I can't even finish this meeting with you. And in that moment, I realized the kind of place that I was in. Um, during this season, we, we were doing this devotional from John Piper. We called him the Pipes. It was just kind of our nickname in our family. So did you read the Pipes this morning? Yeah, it was good. And uh, we had this conversation going back and forth about the devotional. And I remember the morning that these words were part of his devotional. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. And when I read them, I just started crying. Not, not like cute crying, like a, a little tear in the corner of your eye, like full-on ugly crying, snotting, all the stuff, right? Because in that moment, I realized that God might actually have a purpose for the suffering that I was going through. 
that these lies from the enemy were just that, they were lies. But in fact, I, we were suffering as a family, I was suffering as a person in order to make Jesus known in a very dark city, in a very dark season. That God might have a purpose in the midst of that suffering. And that was a breaking point for me, a turning point. A place of hope in the midst of desperation. Suffering is a reality. Like, we will all suffer. We can avoid it. We can pretend like it doesn't exist. We can try and fix it. We can try and buy our our way out of it. We can try and indulge our way out of it. But we will all experience suffering in this journey. In fact, it's interesting. Jesus says that's one thing that, that you can count on in this life is suffering. How do we suffer, though? That changes a lot about our response and about what it is that God wants to do in and through us. In this passage specifically, it's talking about how do we respond when we suffer for the sake of sharing the gospel? How will you respond when you face suffering in this life as you're seeking to make Jesus known in the world around you? And I think what we're going to see together as we walk through the passage is that we can rejoice for the opportunity to identify with and proclaim Jesus. How do we respond when we suffer for the sake of sharing Jesus? We can rejoice for the opportunity to identify with and proclaim Jesus. The passage says, I rejoice in what was suffered for you. What was suffered for them? In order to present the good news of Jesus, Paul, the author of Colossians, was laying his life out there. He faced persecution. He faced difficulty. He faced imprisonment, all for the sake of sharing the good news of Jesus with these people. And he says, I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. And I remember reading that, that phrase as I was reading the John Piper devotional and just going, I have no idea what that means. But something in that resonates with my experience right now today. I mean, what, what's lacking in terms of Christ's afflictions? Was there something lacking that Jesus didn't fully save us through his death? You read earlier in, in Colossians chapter 1, and it's talking about the supremacy of Christ. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything we might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Doesn't sound like much was lacking there, does it? The fullness of God manifest in this God-man who took on human flesh and died a criminal's death that we might be reconciled to God. Nothing lacking. But what was lacking was the suffering on behalf of those that didn't yet know the message of Jesus. And that's what Paul's talking about. 
there was something in his experience of making Christ known that he identified with the suffering of Christ in the suffering that he was enduring himself for the sake of the body of Christ. He fills up in his flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Not that there was anything lacking. Not to minimize the work of Christ. It's showing that the work of Christ is so significant that Jesus' followers would be willing to lay their lives down like he did. To suffer like he did. So that those who are living apart from the hope of Jesus would find that hope. Paul gives a clue when he says, I fill up in my flesh what is lacking. What's lacking is the horizontal connection. I mean, if you think about it like this, when we come to faith in Jesus, he saved us. And he saved us to eternal life with him. So why does he leave us here on earth at that point? Why doesn't he just do that Enoch kind of thing and take us up to heaven? He was here and he was not. And we're there with him in glory. He does it because he has a purpose for us. The purpose is our human connection. It's in our humanity, it's in our flesh, that we have connection with other people. And God wants to use that connection. He actually has a purpose for our, our fleshly connection. Not flesh in the sinful sense, but flesh in the humanity. He gives you your own personhood, your own personality, your own likes, your own interests, your own tastes that might be a bridge for the gospel to people who don't yet know him. And Paul's suffering was just that kind of suffering. It reminds me of 2 Corinthians where it talks about us being fragile vessels, these jars of clay, these weak vessels through whom God's all-surpassing glory is made known. It's not that there's anything great about us or our flesh, but it's God in us being proclaimed to other people. The passage, again, is not saying that there's anything lacking in Christ's sacrifice for our salvation. Rather, that there is something gained by the ongoing suffering of fellow Jesus followers. Through our humanity, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we're able to labor on behalf of others so that they can grow in maturity in Christ. To present the, the Word of God in its fullness, the mystery that's been kept hidden to people who don't know it. God has chosen to make known to all people the mystery of Christ. Living to make Christ known can be difficult, and we can face suffering through that. I was on a run with my, my youngest son, Zeke. Um, he's 18, freshman in college, um, and we were out running, and I, I was just thinking about this passage, and I just said, Zeke, when have you suffered for the sake of making Jesus known? And he said, well, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, is there a time in, in life where things have been difficult because you were trying to share Jesus with other people? And he goes, oh, yeah. I, I remember going to our high school in Seattle. As soon as people found out you were a Christian, you were an outcast. You didn't even have to be outspoken about your faith in Jesus. You just instantly were an outcast. And he said, I think that's why we had such a hard time making friends when we, when we were in that high school in Seattle. I was reminded of when I, I came to faith in Christ. I was 14 years old. Um, I had one of those kind of radical conversions. You know, life was headed in this kind of a path, and God got a hold of me, and it was a drastic difference. I came back to school, and my friends were saying, what's different about you? Something changed? I, 
your vocabulary changed, you're not getting in fights all the time. I mean, it's just kind of the, the little things, right? When you're 14, you're not getting expelled from school, that kind of stuff. And some of my friends drew into that and asked questions. Some of my friends left. And that first year being a Jesus follower was the loneliest year of my high school experience um, for that very reason. I had a new purpose. I came to faith in Christ by the reality that he met my greatest need for salvation, for friendship, for forgiveness and healing, his grace and mercy. But he quickly changed my life to be about helping other people discover that. And it could be a lonely journey. People aren't always receptive. We'll face difficulty through that season. It's interesting because Paul says these words at the beginning, now I rejoice in what was suffered. Rejoicing is like delight. This is a good thing. Now, joy is different than happiness because joy is something that can withstand circumstances. It's the ability to have find kind of a peace or a sense of peace in the midst of difficulty. Rejoicing is this declaring of God's goodness in the midst of that difficulty. He rejoices for the opportunity to suffer that other people might know Christ. He rejoices because of what it produces. We can rejoice because of what suffering produces in you. And I think there's kind of two key purposes, and I want to take some time to to focus in on these. There's two key purposes in what it is that God does through this suffering. The first is what he does in you, and the second is what he does through you. But let me just say this. It's really key that we catch it in that order. The work he does in us is typically the first work. The work he does through us is typically the second work, and it's the most profound when we've done the work of what he wants to do in us. Romans chapter 5, uh, verses 3 to 4. I think we've got it up there. Oops. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whoops. Got out of line. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And Hebrews 12:11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Oswald Chambers has a great quote that I think summarizes these three passages. He says, God does not further our spiritual life in spite of our circumstances, but in and by our circumstances. Oftentimes, I believe God calls us to the work of sharing the good news of Jesus for the work that he wants to do in us first. We think it's, oh, God's going to use me. He's going to do this work through me. But actually, his care is seen that he calls us to things that are way beyond our capacity. So we come to the end of ourselves, and we recognize how much we need him. How much in this life he's all we really have. He's all we really need. I've been doing some woodworking lately, and... I'm kind of a woodworking nerd. I have like probably too many hobbies, but um, I, I love working on guitars and I love doing woodworking and there's a lot of parallel between the two of them. 
And I was doing some woodworking recently, and I, I was kind of drawn to this image in woodworking. Because when you think about what it takes to make a beautiful piece of wood like this lovely table here, it's a lot of violence, actually. You know, I was thinking of, I've got a picture of a walnut tree here. Oh, it's so peaceful. It's so lovely, the walnut tree. Well, what do you do if you want to make a walnut piece of furniture? A chainsaw, right? You cut it down, and then you lay it down, and you start cutting planks out of it with a chainsaw. You got dust going everywhere, chunks of wood, pretty intense violence. Then what do you do next? Whoop. You mill it. You've got it in these, these pieces. You run it through a planer. And you know what a planer is? It's, it's basically a belt of teeth that are chewing off the wood. And the goal is to get all of those gouges out that were created by the chainsaw that cut through the wood. In the end, you get something like this. I didn't make that one, but, but I wish I could, or... I made, I'm, no, I mean, I made one that looks better than that. That's what I meant to say. Um, that's beautiful. Do you know how many hours of sanding that took? I, I don't know. I just made a desk out of walnut, and um, Kristen and I both worked on it with belt sanders for days. I was like, we're not doing woodworking. We're creating sawdust. That's what it felt like. And anytime there was a gouge, there was only one solution to get that imperfection out. It was to peel back more layers, to remove the layers that surrounded it so that you could smooth out the gouge. And I think that's how our lives are. We have imperfections in us, and God is so interested in transforming us into his likeness that he allows the difficulty, the suffering of life to peel back the layers so that the imperfections are removed. And the beauty of our lives are that we're glorifying him. We're like a mirror reflecting God's image to the world around us. And he's so committed to making you into his likeness that he will allow even difficulty to get our attention. Rejoice because of what suffering produces in you. And then rejoice because of suffering, of what suffering produces through you. What God might do through you as he's done this deeper work in you. It's difficult to do what it takes to make Jesus known, and we might suffer through that process. Like Zeke's illustration where our friends are gone, uh, it's difficult to make friends. You might face persecution which, interestingly, I think in today's day and age, we're going to face increasing persecution for our faith because Christianity has moved so much to the margins. But the beauty of that is that whenever persecution is added to the church, that's when the church explodes like a movement. Look at the book of Acts. Suffering produces incredible things through us. Suffering gives us a greater understanding of the gospel. When we talk about what Jesus did for others, it's through suffering that we can identify with his life laying down. It's through that suffering that we experience that we recognize the fullness of his suffering. Suffering gives us a greater understanding of the gospel. It also strips back the idols of our lives. It reminds us that he's really 
all we need in life. It reminds us in the midst of the sufferings that all of my attempts to buy my way out of, indulge my way out of, avoid the suffering and difficulty are in vain. And the only one true thing I can do in the midst of that suffering is surrender my life to him. And it's when I do that that I'm able to more fully proclaim the good news of Jesus to others. It strips back the idols of our lives. It reminds us that we are not at home. It reminds us that we were made for eternity. It's in suffering where we're kind of like Paul, who's like, yeah, to, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I mean, I'm willing to lay my life down if that's what it takes now. But if I get to be here for a little bit longer and share the message of Jesus with others, that's, that's good as well. We have that mentality, that perspective that we were made for something more than the here and now, which draws us to an urgency of sharing the good news of Jesus with other people. I mean, we kind of have this way of going through life where it's like, you know, I'm doing my thing. I've got my rhythm. I, you know, at the end of the day, I watch Netflix and chill out, wake up, drink coffee, get up, do the repeat, 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 drive in, drive out. And that's kind of the flow of our lives. And we can become a little bit complacent. And we can forget that the people that we're driving by that might have just cut us off in traffic or might be beating us to the coffee stand, those people are living apart from the hope of Jesus, possibly. If they died that moment, they'd be living apart from the hope of Jesus for all eternity. And suffering has a way of kind of shaking us up and reminding us, whoa, life is fragile. It's fleeting. Am I living for eternity, or am I just living for the mundane routine? and being caught up in complacency. We can rejoice because suffering produces this in us, and then through us we get to share the gospel. Suffering also gives us a humble platform to bring hope to other people in the midst of, of their suffering. I was thinking about the beginning of, of 2 Corinthians, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Suffering gives us this, this humility to say, I've gone through this, not that I've figured it all out, but let me share with you how God's healed me through this. As God's filled up my cup, in a sense, through his comfort, it overflows to others around me. I have a friend that uh, I'm, I'm doing some running with lately, and he leads a ministry for guys that are struggling with pornography. And we went on a run last week, and uh, my son was saying, well, tell me more about his ministry, because my son and I, and I and this friend were all running. And I was saying, well, he's, you know, he's leading this ministry called Pure Desire that's really designed to help people find freedom from sexual addictions. But, you know, he himself went through his own journey of finding freedom. As a pastor, he confessed that sin to his elders, to his church, and God did a huge healing and transforming work through that. And how profound is that, that God did that work in him first to then use him to be a conduit to bring that same healing to other people? And I think that's, that's really, if we capture one thing from the notion of, the, of suffering and how God wants to use it, use us through that suffering, 
uh, in the lives of other people. It's this, the ways that he's healing you, the ways that he's redeeming you, the ways that he's being, bringing about transformation in your life. He wants to use you to do that in other people's lives. Now, again, as I said earlier, there's something I think important about the sequence of that. He's got to do that huge healing work in you first. If my friend was right in the beginning stages of his struggle and started telling other people what they should do in their struggle, he would have had less voice. They could have easily you know, said, well, you're kind of a hypocrite there telling us that, right? But rather he was surrendered to the healing work that God had for him for a season and then allowed God to work through him in that way. And God's so good, he uses us right where we're at if we're willing to be surrendered to him. It's interesting because I was thinking about this, this passage and, and we can rejoice in, in the suffering because of what it produces in us, what it produces through us. But we, again, we can not surrender ourselves to suffering and miss out on all this incredible stuff that God wants to do in and through us. I, um, I won't go into it too much, but the role I was in leading church planting within our denomination in the Northwest uh, came to an unexpected and abrupt ending, not by my choosing. And um, I found myself for the first time in my entire working life and ministry career being fired and unemployed. And wow, disorienting, confusing. Um, People that I'd done life and ministry with for years kind of took two steps back. I don't know, but it seemed like maybe they believed the worst, that I'd done something wrong. And I still, I don't don't think I have done anything wrong. I wasn't told that I did anything wrong. I was just removed from the job. That was painful. You ever gone through unemployment? It's humbling. Maybe humiliating is a better word. And in the midst of that suffering, I have kind of this decision, am I going to allow God to use that or am I going to waste that experience? Suffering is such a gift if we allow him to use it. But we can waste it by trying to get ourselves out of the suffering. Trying to fix the suffering. Are we surrendered to God in the midst of the suffering? There's a couple of statements that, for me, um, really resonate thinking about this. We're surrendered to God when when we say to him, Here I am, what do you want to do in me through this suffering? Here I am, God, I can't get myself out of this. It's the health diagnosis that's looming. The loss of a job, the estranged relationship, the financial struggles. Do we try to fix it or do we say, God, I'm surrendered to you. Here I am. What do you want to do in me through this? And secondly, here I am. What do you want to do through me in this? Here I am, what do you want to do in me, and what do you want to do through me? The passage continues on 
And we read the the remainder of it, but I want to go back and, and revisit that. He says, we proclaim in him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. We get to proclaim Jesus so that we present everyone perfect in Christ. There's this good work that God invites us into that comes out of this season of suffering and understanding the work God wants to do in us. And the goal of that is that we might present everyone mature in Christ, that we might present everyone perfect in Christ. There's this laboring of helping make, make Christ known with other people. And there's something powerful about being in the journey, both to kind of warn them and to teach them as, as you go. Um, I love trail running. It's one of my favorite kinds of running because you kind of get, you know, out, out of the rigmarole of life. There's no, you know, traffic lights that you have to stop at and cars that you're worried about cutting you off. You just get out there and you just run and it's so much fun, but it can be a little intimidating the first time you do a trail, right? Because when you're trail running, you, you really have to watch your feet a lot because there's rocks and there's roots, and there's holes, and if you don't watch your feet on some trails, what happens is you, you hit the ground, um, and I've had that happen a few times, right? And, and that can be pretty dangerous when you're six or seven miles out on a trail, and you, you know, this hasn't happened to me, but you break an ankle or something like that. So you're watching your feet pretty carefully, which means you're not watching all of the different options that are in front of you as much. So it's kind of this process of scanning your feet and scanning the trail and scanning your feet and scanning the trail, it's really helpful, though, if you've run the trail before. Because you're, you know, okay, at this point it's going to start climbing on switchbacks. At this point I need to make a right and hug the trail that side or stay on this side of the pond or whatever it might be as you're running down the trail. There's something powerful about having run the course before that you then are more prepared for the second time you run it. In fact, one of the things I love to do is run a trail with somebody who's already run the trail. Right? Because they're able to warn you about some of the spots. They're able to say, this is going to be really hard for one mile, and then it's going to get easier and it's going to plateau. They're able to serve as these guideposts, in a sense, to both teach and warn you about the process. And I think that's what the Christian journey is like, the, the life of following Christ. As he does work in us, we're able to train those that are a couple steps behind us in the process of following Jesus to say, here's the things you need to know, and here's the things I want to warn you about. Here's the journey I've been on. Here's the work God's done in and through me. Here's what it might look like in your life. There's something really powerful about living to proclaim Jesus in that sort of way, helping other people become mature in their faith in Christ. And that's what Paul says. He lived his life for that. He was willing to live his life for this purpose. There's such a great purpose that God has in us to make him known in the world. And Paul rejoices in that suffering that he endured to make Christ known, just like we can rejoice in that suffering. Because in the midst of that suffering, God has a work he wants to do in us and a work he wants to do through us. As we close, I just want to ask you a couple questions to reflect on. Where are you suffering? Where are you experiencing suffering? Why are you suffering?
some suffering is self-induced. Some suffering is completely out of our control. Are you surrendered to God in the midst of your suffering? And what do you think God might want to do in and through you in this suffering? I have a good friend who's a counselor, psychologist, um, that I, I meet with often. I sit with him as a, as a counselor, but he's also a friend. Um, and he has this really powerful image that he, he says, We're, we all get wounded, right? We're all victims in some sense. We've all suffered difficulty. But what defines us is our response to that. Do we stay in that place as, as victims? Or do we move from victim to survivor? And he has this powerful image. He says, you know, survivors, they've learned that they have wounds and they carry a shield because they don't want to get wounded again, right? But that shield of defensiveness oftentimes keeps away the agenda of what God wants to do in our lives. Because if we're defensive, we're spending so much energy being self-protective. So much energy that when somebody says, hey, have you thought about this in your life? You're like, well, have you thought about this in your life? And our initial response is to push people off out of fear of being wounded. He says that what God's calling us to, though, is not to stay in that place of, of being the survivor that carries a shield. He's calling us to lay down the shield. He's calling us to be warriors. And what do warriors carry with them? They don't need a shield because the shield bogs them down. They simply need a sword. But here's the thing. That sword is not a sword to inflict violence. That sword is God's grace and forgiveness. That's what defines this process of moving from victim to survivor to warrior is we are aware of our wounds, but we no longer allow them to define us. We're not defensive, but we're filled with grace. God wants to use our suffering to transform us. Much like the image of that piece of walnut, he wants to peel back the layers in our life so that we can more fully reflect who he created us to be and what an incredible God he is. And through the authentic stories of our life to make him known in the world around us. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for uh, the gift of suffering. Thank you that we can rejoice in the midst of that. Thank you that you love us enough to call us to this deep work to peel back the layers in our lives. And Lord, I just I want to acknowledge that right now there are probably some of us that are suffering in such a way that it's difficult to even see the the bright lining that might be there, the hope out of the suffering. Holy Spirit, would you come and minister to us in the midst of that pain? Would you remind us of our ultimate hope in you? 
would you help us to be surrendered to you in the midst of that? God, thank you that you love us enough to bring that in our lives so that we can look increasingly like you. I pray for this church and pray, God, that as you do this transforming work in and through us, that you would use us each as your disciples, your your followers, to be beacons of light for you to others that are struggling in the same way. May our comfort overflow that people who are living apart from the hope of you would find hope in you. And God, we pray this in Christ's name.